Hailing frequencies open, because on this day in 1994, the series finale of Star Trek The Next Generation aired, concluding seven seasons of boldly going where no one has gone before. There are still more Star Treks than there are OWASP top 10 versions, but that gap is narrowing. So if you don't mind acronyms, some predictable villains, and jumping around in time, check out the OWASP top 10. Which means this week we talk with Matthias Madu about the psychology of training and the ingredients necessary for building a security culture. In the news segment, a top 10 for Kubernetes, a reference architecture for building software, a walkthrough of RubyVolms, a new policy for CFAA, and more. Make it so, and stay tuned for Application Security Weekly. This is Security Weekly, for security professionals, by security professionals. It's the show to learn the latest tools, techniques, and processes necessary to understand DevOps, application security, and cloud security. Your trusted source for the latest application security news. It's time for Application Security Weekly. SUSE.io makes security tools for everyone. SUSE's flat rate pricing means you can set up SCA and DASP tools for your whole team. No seat counts, no scan limits, and you never have to talk to a salesperson. SUSE integrates with all common CI/CD platforms and supports most popular package managers. And thanks to SUSE's open source vulnerability scanner, license management suite, and SBOM generation capability, you can get back to what you really want to be doing, coding in no time. Visit securityweekly.com slash SUSE. This is episode 198, recorded May 23rd, 2022. I'm your host, Mike Shima. I'm here with John Kinsella. Hello, John. Hey, Mike. How you doing? Happy Monday. Happy Monday. I'm doing quite well. Got to catch up on all the uh, latest Strange New Worlds and whatever the newest series are on uh, Star Trek. I also want to catch up on everyone who can save $100 on your RSA conference 2022 full conference pass. RSA conference will be live in San Francisco June 6th through 9th. Security Weekly will be there in full force, delivering real-time live coverage and interviewing some of the event's top speakers and sponsors. To register using our discount code, please visit securityweekly.com slash RSAC2022 and use the code 52UCYBER. We'll see you there. Plus, don't miss any of your favorite Security Weekly content. Visit securityweekly.com slash subscribe to subscribe to any of our podcast feeds and have all new episodes downloaded right to your phone. You can also join our mailing list, Discord server, and follow us on social media and our streaming platforms. Matthias is the co-founder and CTO of Secure Code Warrior. He has over a decade of hands-on software security experience, from research to improving existing solutions to scoping and building new ones. A dozen patents and a bunch of papers are the result of that, his research that eventually led to a handful of commercial products. Matthias holds a PhD in computer engineering from Ghent University, where he studied application security through program obfuscation to hide the inner workings of an app. He joined Fortify as an intern and moved up to be the research architect of all runtime solutions crossing Fortify and ArcSight within HP. He has presented at conferences including RSA, Black Hat, and DEF CON, and he joins us now. Hello, Matthias. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Mike. So we're happy to have you here because one of the themes that we've been talking about recently is education, training, because uh, we want to, I think we need some kind of solution that helps us get more secure software. And uh, the OWASP top 10, just as one example, isn't on, on its own, isn't going to get us there. And you particularly have been doing a lot of research, in fact, um, not only on technical solutions, but on training solutions. So you know, maybe the, the first question we can start off with is the, 
is, is an easy one. Do developers care about security? <laughs> well, I think they do. I think they yes. do. Ultimately, they do. But so back to, to your introduction, like there's the, still the OWASP top 10. It doesn't go away. Um, and there's plenty of tools out there that can find the problems in code. I think that is not the problem. I think there's no shortage in finding problems in code. Um, but absolutely, it's still up to the developer to figure out like, hey, you know what, how are we going to fix that piece of code? And um, even better, how are we going to produce, produce the next um, piece of functionality that is secure? Um, so yeah, I think the developers, they do care. I'm, I'm confident they do care if they are um, not told, but if they learn about um, how to create secure software, they do care. But they, they, they've never experienced something like that. Look at universities. Um, when I was at university, we had a security class. We did have a security class, but it was about network security and especially around cryptography. Um, not about writing secure code. It was not about that. It was only later down the track that I experienced myself when people started to misuse my code that I was like, Hmm, that's different than crypto. Crypto is not going to solve that and network security is not going to solve that. So did I care at that point in time? I, absolutely. I was like, oh my God, people are doing strange things with my application. So what is what is that? You know, where does it come from? <laughs> Indeed. And I, I wanted to start us off with that because I think it's important for AppSec teams, especially to have the right attitude going into this. Because I, I think, as you mentioned, rather than just telling developers, write secure code or don't write insecure code. If you end your training, your guidance there, I don't think you're helping anyone. But I think that also one of the things we should do is maybe pick apart what does secure coding mean? Because you just now touched on, you know, you had a class on networking, had a class on crypto as in cryptography, but maybe that's not just what secure coding means. So what does that, you know, if I say that, what does it look like to you? Correct. So, so it's, it's very different. For me, secure coding is what people experience or what developers think of all the way at the end when they become senior developers, when they become developers with experience. Because, because only at the end of um, you know, their growth path, they start to realize that, develop, that, that users um, of their um, application are doing things that were not meant to be there. So in the beginning, when you start programming, you know, you make mistakes like, oh, a line ends with a semicolon in Java. Oh, that's pretty interesting. So you learn syntax and, and you make syntactical mistakes. Later down the track, you learn about functions, functionality, files. Ultimately, you're like, well, how do I design something, architecture, multiple product um, projects or applications interacting with each other. But it's only when people start to use your application when you get feedback that you start to realize, oh, that's pretty interesting. I, I had something in mind that developers could do with my application, but suddenly there seems to be like hidden functionality where they are able to extract information from my database. Um, that was not intended. I did not program that, or I think I did, I think I did not program that. So how did they do that? And then you start to realize, oh my God, you know, I've made not really mistakes because I didn't know how to create that piece of software, but unintentionally I added functionality into that code, um, which has security implications, actually severe security implications in, in a lot of cases. So, so application security is essentially making sure that your application behaves and the functionality is there, but there's no more functionality. There's no additional functionality with security implications like 
people being able to bypass authentication, people able to extract information from your database, people browsing to your um, to your website and actually seeing something different than what you intended to have there. So for me, application security, it's it's also a form of quality, essentially. It's making sure that your application behaves the way it should be, just like, you know, it should be up and running. The speed is important. So from a quality perspective, you have to make sure it's fast. It is nice. It is, um, it is designed the way you thought it would be designed. No more, but also no less. It's interesting because you picked on a, a bit of an, an arc there, if you will, in the sense of, focusing on secure coding in the sense of just some syntax errors, understanding just the, the, the nuances of a particular language. But then it started to become a discussion on architecture and APIs or API contracts. In other words, well, I wrote this for the way it was intended to be. Why are you using this in a way I didn't intend? Read my mind rather than read my code. Um, so as you think about that, there's you know some of those ways of looking at code are also perhaps the difference between junior and senior experiences with with programmers. How then does that turn into secure coding? Meaning, do I just go to the senior developers and say, remember the semicolons at the end of your line, and the junior coders say, think about the holistic view of your AWS cloud native architecture and the you know this massive uh, composition of components. Well, it, it depends. So I would say it, it would be nice if if you have a senior person that can explain it to you. But I, I can see two ways of, of fixing this problem. So first of all, it would be very nice if we can make a, a, a design change so that ultimately nobody has to care about certain problems. That is my favorite. I'll be honest, that is my favorite. So if by design it's not possible to make certain mistakes by all means, please do so. Please embed that into your framework, into your code, into a library. I do not care where you're going to embed it, but please do so. Unfortunately, the reality is we're building stuff on top of stuff, and the legacy stuff still needs to work. And especially in organizations, quite often they say, well, you know what? It works. Please do not touch it because it works. You know, it worked for a long, long time. Nobody ever complained. And now you're telling me that this code from 15 years ago is broken and I need to make a change in COBOL? No, I will not do that. So so, so then it comes back to, you know, um, you cannot make architectural changes. Then... Um, well, something that I'm trying to get my head around, back in the day, we did a study and we saw that 2% is AppSec. So if you compare developers versus application security, 2% is AppSec. So two developers need to guide, uh, sorry, two application security people need to hide, guide 100 developers. That's a lot of people. So how do you win this battle? Adding more AppSec people in there? Well, probably not because it's still the developers that need to code. Um, so ultimately, what I'm trying to get my head around is... Of these 100 developers, like what percentage is security aware? What percentage is security skilled? Um, how many are a security champion? By the way, do I have definitions for everything that I just mentioned? No, because it's pretty different in every organization. So I do not have any definitions. But you should look at the group of developers and trying to figure out who has an interest in security, who does not have an interest in security. So can we slice and dice it? And to come back to your question... Like where where do you go? Well, it would be good to know what what you know what population you have, who these people are in your population, and can the juniors um, ask for help 
of the seniors or you know can your developers ask help of a, for of a champion or a security aware or are we all security aware so ultimately it depends a little bit on your definitions within your organization but it would be really nice if somebody that wants to do the right thing can get help from somebody that says hey you know what i'm the security champion in this group or we're all security aware go take this class for example um, so that is how i see it i'm i'm trying to get my head around what's in the developer pack and and how can we slice it and dice it so that ultimately people that need help can get some help that's i, I like that that aspect of security champions i want to loop around back to that in a second but first some some more questions on some aspects of even tooling or automation because you did uh, understandably I, I don't think even appsec industry has defined DevOps, DevSecOps, those things. And I don't think we need to, not, not interesting there. But if we look at the thing in the aspect of just the sense of we need training, is training effective? What are some ways you've seen organizations respond to that? For example, you know, to AppSec folks, to 100 engineers, maybe I could get some SaaS tools or some SCA tools or some other automation to help that. Is that, how, how have you seen orgs, orgs respond in, in those areas? I have a very interesting quote. So, so back in the day when we started doing this, our target audience was people who already bought into a SaaS solution. So we thought like, well, we really need to go after people that buy a SaaS solution of Fortify, Checkmarks, whatever kind of SaaS solution. Why? Because five years down the track, they'll figure out that they still have a significant amount um, of vulnerabilities. Well, probably didn't even go down. It only went, you know, kind of flat. So five years down the track, they start to realize they need a solution like, like training. Um, these days, I think it's different. I heard a really interesting quote from, from one, of, one of our customers who said, well, you know what? I didn't have a SaaS solution. When I bought into training, I, I did have nothing to find problems in code. And why would I? Because there were like decades of code being built. Nobody ever thought about security. So I know what the result is going to be of a SaaS solution or a DAS. I know it. It's going to be bad. I know. So my philosophy is I'm first going to turn to um, some training, some upskilling solution to make sure that the developers are armed with it being able to fix code. And then I'm going to actually buy into a SaaS solution because then when I show them some interesting findings, they're going to say, oh, I get it. I understand why this is important. And I, I realize I'll have to fix that in code. Yeah, so for me, oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say that I, I, I like that anecdote because it's that aspect of, yeah, we know it's going to be bad. And rather than just the AppSec team or anybody else to tell me how bad things are, which there is a uh, there is some utility to that, of course, but you need to fix those. So rather than having the slew of more JIRA tickets for all those devs, I, 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 that appeals to me of approaching it with training. My follow-up question there is, how do you sort of then start to quantify the training aspect? Do you ask something like, do you have less problems now? Is your, is your code more secure? Oh, I would. So, so first of all, yes, there are companies that, that do something like that, where they, where they um, take a scan, they do some training, they take another scan and, you know, it goes down. So it means it, it has done something. Is it all because of the training? Probably not. There's a, you know, there's other initiatives running in parallel because it's a, it's a focus area. But that is the ideal situation because quite often the people rolling out training are not the people doing the scans and they're not doing on the same code. And there's, 
you know, people coming on board and moving out. So there's a lot more complexity than just do a scan, do some training, do another scan. So we need to rely on other things. We need to rely on other things to figure out if, if a training program is working. And um, my take on that is I would like to not try to boil the ocean because quite often what we see is, hey, you know what? We're going to roll out the training program. Let's train them all on the OS top 10 and, you know, Let's make sure they do it. And then, you know, we're going to do some scan or whatever. It doesn't work that way. Um, quite often, it works better to focus on one thing. Pick one vulnerability, roll it out across the organization. And we've actually done that with, with one of our customers where we picked one vulnerability. We rolled it out across the organization and we just wanted to book success in this one particular category. I, I really like that. Way more than trying to do 10 things at a time. Um, because then you can measure success. Do you still have SQL injection? Yes or no? It's pretty binary. Um, maybe maybe one thing to add is is over over here to mention that we we've done some some scanning before and we did a training and we did some scanning afterwards. Actually, the customer did that and we asked the customer, "Did you see more problems or less problems?" And you know, we were of course hoping and you know, we were like 100% sure they would say less problems and they said, "No, we actually have more problems." They're like, "Oh my god, this is not working." You know, they found more problems. Um what what the reality was, people took the took the training and they started to realize like, "Oh my god, I did something bad last year. I don't really have time to fix it because I'm still I'm quickly going to uh, um, file a bug and make sure that it is in the system. Or when they opened up a file, which wasn't you know flagged as anything by one of the static analysis solutions, but they spotted something, they said, oh my God, there's a problem over here, so I'm going to file a, a problem. So what they experienced is essentially a, a, a peak where they saw so more problems, but then ultimately it goes down. Don't get me wrong. The training works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's cool because it's like it, it, the light bulb goes off. And as you said, people re, re, re think back to say, oh, right, I did write that code that I should probably go clean up because of XYZ security reasons. And a little bit of that, I think, starts to be the concept of what we want a security champion program to look like perhaps or maybe that's what a security culture i'll use that term too since we're not defining things but um the, those aspects of security culture security champion let, let, let's dive into that a little bit too and how does that relate to this training or that idea of that developer thinking oh my code might not have been as good as it should have been so culture wise i think it's top down but also bottom up I do feel that quite often the deadline is yesterday. So people do not really have the time to do the right thing. Um, and so even if developers want to do it, but the deadline was yesterday, there's, there's no time. And the other way around as well. So if it only comes from the top where they say, you know what, you are given time, you, you have this training. But if developers are really like, no, you know, I do not care. There is this other group, which is called AppSec. They are responsible for the security. I'm here for writing functionality. You know, I want to just write features, new stuff, cool stuff. Then it's not going to work either. So for me, the, the security culture is making sure that everybody is on board with what you would like to achieve. By the way, it's not secure. So for me, it's shipping code reliably. That is what it, what the objective is of, of an organization, I would assume. So if you talk to an engineering or a product department, it is shipping code in a reliable way. 
And that inherently means also in a secure way. So, and everybody needs to um, um, buy into that vision. Also the AppSec team, the, the, <laughs> the goal of an AppSec team is not to find as many problems as possible because that doesn't help. That does not help. The, the goal of an AppSec team is to ship reliable code. That is the goal, not counting number of vulnerabilities and making sure you find 10% more next month. That is, that is not the goal. So for me, the security culture if, is making sure that everybody and all metrics line up to shipping code in a reliable way. Yeah, it's it's very appealing to think that we're always going to have some zero day or there's always going to be a vuln in a dependency you're using, not even the code that you're writing yourself. How quickly can you respond to it? One of those aspects of security champion, for example, one of the, the anti-patterns, if you will, I've seen of that is that the champion is the one who's responsible for running that SaaS tool, who's fixing those security bugs. So how, what are some good ways to help avoid going down that path where rather than as you are saying, you know, everyone should have a degree of responsibility to, we'll have a security champion and they're responsible for security. Yeah, but I think there's still a discrepancy in the market where 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 there's still organizations that believe that having that one security champion is is going to solve and and we have all the pieces of the puzzle. I'm, I'm not a big believer and it's not only my belief, it's also based on what I see in our organizations. So it's it's not only what I believe but where I see most successes is where there's um um a general awareness amongst developers what to do. And then I'm very specifically talking about um, making sure they use patterns, coding patterns that are known to be secure. So within organizations, they define, you know what, this is how you're going to do it. We're going to use this particular framework. These are the coding patterns that we're going to use. And if everybody adheres, we have a pretty good chance of developing secure code. So it is also not necessarily, you know, all... Um, looking up or, or asking the security champion, it's more creating a, a, a foundation, a base where everybody has a minimum, um, um, uh, you know, capacity availability, but also making sure they know what needs to happen with code to to produce secure code. So, I guess one question on there, Matthias. I think part of the reason some, I'll say, some management teams out there will will get that one or two appsec people. Um, is that they're expecting them to do the work, and, and, you know whether yeah. whether that's realistic or not, right? Let, let, I think that's an expectation of you know when when someone says, hey, we're going to set up an appsec team, uh, we're going to go ahead and create the budget to actually go and have those people, and, and they're going to go and we're going to be secure in a year from now. It's going to be great. Um, as as you go through some of these training exercises and work with with teams over the years, how how have you found ways to I mean, really, what what you're what you're having to do? I think the, one of the core things for you is how do you actually um, create time, right? How do you get that dev team that's like on a schedule to ship, 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 ship to like, okay, we this is important to us. It's important enough that we're actually going to take time from everything else. Is is because that's sort of a key thing. How any you know wins around that, or what what are your magical tricks? Sure, I'll I'll first talk about like so some of them do it for compliance training. We prefer not to just take the box, go with another solution that is very short and, and do it that way. Um, we also see teams um, that are, uh, what is the right word here? They are not looking far enough into the future. So when when teams are, you know, we want to do the training 
but kind of we do not really want to do the training because we still, you know, it needs to be delivered within this quarter. We do not have a long-term view. Doesn't work as well. Um, so, so for me, there's there's a couple of ways to con- to convince them. First of all, well, the easiest way is if 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 they got hacked or their neighbor got hacked, you know, it's a very simple one. Um, so if stuff happens into the market, they want to make sure they're they're not the next victim to to a particular problem like that. But you know, these are kind of more edge cases. Um, so, so what does convince a, a management team to invest into security? It's just looking at their own tech stack and looking at their own. And sometimes you need a static analysis solution to show what all the problems are. And um, when it comes really close to home, is if you want, if you take one of these particular problems and you you figure out how to actually um, um, have a proof of concept on their own code that. That is very realistic. If you see, um, I don't know, burp and it's really doing nasty stuff with your code and you're investigating that for a couple of days as an AppSec team and you present that back to the management team, like, hey, we're not investing into security. That actually means that a simple solution like burp is able to, well, empty your database or change something into the database. Look, this is what, what I can do. And that is very, very you know, almost too close to home for, for a management team where they start to realize like, oh my God, maybe we should invest into the longer term and, and, and put something in, into place like, like, a, like a training uh, program. So there are tips and tricks on, on how we can move a management team um, in investing into security quite often. Right now, I think there's more actually demand for our solution than, than we have to convince the market. I think that has kind of changed. In, in the last years, there's more and more demand for, for a solution like ours. The market is there. People realize what problems are. We do no longer have to educate them. So I think that's, so I mean, management teams, we no longer have to man, um, um, make sure that they understand what application security problems are. Let's, let's face it, let's be honest. There's enough things that hit the news that we no longer have to convince people that security is important. No? Um, yeah, it's, I, the, the, he's catching my eye rolling for those just listening to the audio. Um, and not quite eye rolling. Um, I agree with you. But I mean, I've been in situations within the last few years where um, I've wanted to increase the security of an application and got pushback from the exec team. Um, and it's not the big company you used to work for, so don't people mm-hmm. be thinking I'm doing that. Um, but it's it's... So I think there, I, everything you're saying is is I completely agree with, but I think while there's a ton of business coming out of this, or I should be saying business, a ton of a ton of interest coming out of this, mm-hmm. um, I think there's still a lot of people out there that are there going, how can I get pe- how can I get my management team to take this seriously? I mean, I guess part of it might be to move over to the other company that's taking it seriously. I, I don't know. That's not the best solution either to me. But you know. yeah, well. I, I hope they realize they should not be the, the slowest running zebra. You know, mm-hmm. they don't have to be all the way ahead of the pack. But if it is, I, in my mind, it's common sense to train your developers and invest in that because universities quite often still do not do it. No. And if if you're not doing it, then I think you're the slowest running zebra. Mm-hmm. So, I think it's a risk. 
there's a risk there too, in the sense that on the compliance aspect, you mentioned there is training that comes in. We need this because PCI says we need a security awareness, for example, or some, Mm -hmm. some degree of, of basic level of background radiation, if you will, of, of training, but that's not the training you were focusing on. And maybe this is also a chance for us to figure out that, to tease out that difference between the cynical approach to training and investment from management who just says, we need this because of external requirement. And we haven't seen training that we enjoy, that we like, that we think will help us be that zebra that runs a little bit faster. So the question there is, what does a, a, a better training look like, a good training look like that isn't just a pure compliance play, if you will, that walks through OWASP top 10, number one, number two, number three, and eyes start to glaze over. Yeah. Well, I think back in the day, um, every static analysis vendor also had a training program because back in the day, um, people said, well, you know what, we're finding problems. Can you train a little bit of our developers? And we all had it. And it was all even a, a tick in the box for, for the static analysis um, vendors because all they did was making very simple um, videos to quickly make sure there was something with the platform on, on how to remediate or, or to think about security. That didn't work. Why did that not work? Well, um, they made a video on how to fix something in Java and people were working on .NET. That's one thing. It didn't work. Or they were talking more in general speak and not language specific. And then developers, well, but what do I do now? Like, what kind of function do I use? What do I type here in this particular line in my file? So um, first of all, it needs to be language and even framework specific in my mind. If, if, if you take some training and you're a Java EE developer, why on earth would you take a .NET course? You know, so if you're Java EE, take a Java EE course. If you're a COBOL developer, take a COBOL course. That's that's one thing. Um, second thing is, to me, it has to line up with your organization. If you do not have a database, why on earth would you train people on SQL injection? It doesn't make sense. So figure out what you have, what you do not have, and make something in line with your code, with your tech stack, with everything that you have internally. Um, otherwise, it doesn't make sense at all. Um, and, and I actually already iterated on, on one of the previous points, which is don't boil the ocean. Please, please do not boil the ocean. Do not say, hey, you know what? We're going to do a training week. I'm pretty confident developers will not be excited about that if they need to spend an entire week doing some training. Take an hour, take two hours, throw something fun um, with, with maybe some prizes and, and you know, make sure they, they do training in a different way, not in a traditional way. It, that, that different way sounds like, too, it leads into the idea of we want to train a behavior rather than a magical one hours or one week is going to give us everyone now knows how to do secure code. So I'm wondering a little bit maybe to a call back to, to John's question, the sense of getting management buy-in or demonstrating what security culture looks like as being pervasive. Tell us a little bit more about how you've seen that the, the training behavior or the approach to training being more successful than just a, here is the October cybersecurity month, or here's our yeah. training week, and then come back next year and we'll do another one. So for, for, for me, it's a combination of two things. So first of all, you have the knowledge and you do have the behavior and knowledge and behavior um, should be balanced. So you essentially create good habits. Um, and, and maybe I can use actually an analogy over here. Like, um, the question you can ask yourself is, have you ever eaten something that was unhealthy? You know, have you ever eaten something that was unhealthy? I think 
everybody is like, yes, I, I have. So over there, knowledge and behavior do not really line up because your knowledge is like, well, I know this is pretty bad, but your behavior is like, well, I still want to have it, you know? And, and if that goes out of control, um, you know, if you if that goes out of control, maybe you go to a to a dietary program. Well, over there, they do not only work on the knowledge part, but also on the behavior part to make sure it's back in line. Um, because people quite often know that it is a bad thing to eat pizza all the time, you know, but the behavior is like, well, I still do it. So they, they treat both sides. And I think the same is true for, for writing secure code. If you ask developers, you know, have you ever shipped a, a piece of software that had a problem? Unfortunately, I still think the majority of people say, yes, um, I, I unfortunately have shipped um, a piece of code with, 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 you know, which was broken. So again, knowledge and behavior do not line up. First of all, make sure there is knowledge. So at least that particular person uh, knew that it was a problem, but quite often people do not know, like because they were never never trained mm-hmm. or upskilled. And then second, the behavior part is, is making sure that we, we talked about this through management, they have some time, they're able to upskill themselves. Um, there's an environment of incentives maybe to write secure code. Um, it's, it's gamified, I don't know. But making sure that if these two line up, um, you create essentially... Um, um, an environment where you create good habits so they can act in a secure way. I'm totally thinking of pizza and donuts now. So I'm going to have to have some of those a little bit later on. And you know it's bad. Exactly. And delicious. <laughs> and uh, <yes>. delicious. <laughs> <laughs> so then, uh, you know, if, if my favorite food is going to be a, a donuts, perhaps, uh, do you have a favorite topic to train on, for example? Something that you just think is, this is the, perhaps not universal, but something that is just interesting, a, a good training item that, that always appeals to you. Ooh, a good training item that always appeals to me is is really what is necessary for the code quite often through a solution. Um, the, the most critical problem boils up and or comes up, and that is, to me, the most important thing. So there's not one thing that I would really train everybody on. I think it would be more specific um, to the code base. Fair enough. And I think that's a theme of what you were also describing, too. If you're going to be, if you're going to have good training, make it relevant. So um, yes. you mentioned COBOL, so maybe we'll get some COBOL uh, answers or questions for you <laughs> later on, too. But rather than looking back to the history of COBOL, uh, what's on the horizon? What's, what's, what are some of the things you see for the future of training or security cultures or something like that? Ooh, what's on the horizon? Um for for me, what's on the horizon is I think um, the, the 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 piece of sharing is going to be more and more important. I think so. Developers um, they have an environment, um, they have an IDE, they have a laptop, they communicate through certain systems, and they do not communicate through other systems. To give an example, if I send my top notch developer an email, well, maybe I'll have an answer within a week. If I send them something through Slack, well, then. I'll have an answer within two hours, and that is day or night. Um, so we need to be there where the developer is. And, and with everything that we do, I think us as a security vendor, but the security community as, as a whole, we really meet, need to make stuff that is where the developer already is. Um, throwing more stuff at a developer is not really going to make it. That's one thing. But the second thing, I think there's going to be a major change in how we share information. Um, today, what I see quite often is when a developer leaves the organization, a lot of knowledge is lost. Yes, it's still in the code, but that's kind of irrelevant. It's, you know, 
the the he 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 worked on some pieces of code. He closed some bugs. He fixed some things. And when he left, that essentially is all in the code, but not in the knowledge base. And I'm not right. Not talking about writing more wiki pages or more confluence pages. What I'm talking about is really embedding that into the framework again, into the environment that we're working, into the IDE, into the CI/CD. We all have the notion of of custom rules and custom recipes still too complicated. We need to capture that in a more innovative way. Um, And I think if we can do that, I think that's going to be a major change in the next five to 10 years. Um, um, So really, you know, be there with the developer on a day-to-day basis, coaching him, helping him and helping him or her in in writing secure code. Well, I think you've given us at least, a, it's not five to 10 years, but it's been about 30 minutes of information that you've preserved for recording this with us. So I want to thank you for that, Matthias. It's been really enlightening. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I want to thank John as well. And I want to thank all of our listeners. Uh, we're going to take a quick break and return with news of the week. <laughs> 